Now, church, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, if you will, a world with no signs. No signs of any kind at all. Can you imagine what life would be like, what your day-to-day life would be like if we had no signs? I mean, think about it. If you were driving on an unfamiliar stretch of highway, you would have no idea where within our state or within our continent that you might be. You'd have no idea how close or how far away you were from your destination. You'd have no idea if you were going in the right direction or not. You'd have no idea where to exit. You'd have no idea where to stop to get food or to get gas or or to go to the bathroom. You'd be totally lost and disoriented. Or or imagine if you needed to go to Home Depot to find a a dowel rod or or a fuse for an electrical outlet. Or or if you needed to go to the grocery store for, for baking powder. First of all, You'd have no idea which building the Home Depot or the grocery store was in. And if you did happen to find your way into the right store, you'd have no idea which aisle to find those things on. You'd have no other option than to wander aimlessly through the store until you happened upon them. And if you did eventually find your way into a Home Depot or into a grocery store, and then you eventually found your way to the fuses or or to the baking powder, even then, you'd have no idea how much they would cost. In a world without signs, we wouldn't know anything about anything. Can you imagine what that would be like? There'd be chaos and there'd be confusion everywhere. We'd have no chance of navigating even the simplest parts of our lives without the help of signs directing us and and pointing us towards where we need to go. Signs are essential for us to be rightly oriented in our world. This is true of, of every area of our lives, including, and perhaps especially, our spiritual lives. Like the rest of life, we need signs to orient us and to inform us and to direct us as to where we ought to go in our spiritual lives as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. This past Wednesday, we entered into the season of Epiphany. An epiphany is a season where we remember and where we would celebrate that in the person of Christ, God has made himself known in our world. And one of the ways that God has made himself known in Christ is by giving us signs. Throughout his life, Jesus said certain things, and he did certain things that that served as signs. His actions and his words were often pointing to a greater reality that he wanted us to be aware of and to understand. In in the same way that a sign points us to a a greater reality beyond itself, we're never ultimately interested in the sign itself, but in what the sign is pointing us towards. So it is with the signs of Christ. The signs that Jesus performed were intended to point beyond themselves to an even greater reality regarding his identity and his purpose. They point us to who Jesus really is 
and they give us information about what his life was really all about. These signs are, are intended to, to help us rightly orient our hearts and our lives around him. The Apostle John was so in tune to these signs and, and to their purpose that he highlights them for us in his gospel account. Out of the many miracles that Jesus performed in his life, in the book of John, only seven of these miracles are actually recorded, and they are identified as signs. This dynamic is so prominent in John's gospel that the first part of his book, where these miracles are recorded, is known as the book of signs. And, and so throughout this season of Epiphany, we're going to, to read these signs. And, and we're going to consider, what are these signs pointing us to? What are they intending to tell us about Jesus? How is he revealed through these signs? And the goal and the purpose of this series is twofold. The first of those purposes is for all of you who already know Jesus. You've come to a saving faith in Him by entrusting your life to Him as Savior and Lord. My hope for you in this series is that these signs will help you to behold anew the glory of our Lord. In the very first sign that Jesus performed at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, we are told that the miracle manifested His glory. It made the glory of Jesus apparent for all to see. I believe that this is the case of all of the miracles and the sayings of Jesus that we will consider. They all make the glory of Christ more apparent to our eyes. And this is my hope for you, that as we consider these signs, you'll come to a deeper, a fuller, a more profound understanding and experience of the glory and the majesty of Jesus. And that having considered these signs afresh, that your life will be reoriented and, and redirected, that, that these signs will guide you even closer towards God in your love for Him. That's the first purpose of this series. But the second goal of this series is for anyone who may not yet have come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now, I often assume that everyone in our church already has this type of relationship with the Lord. But from time to time, we have visitors of whom I know nothing about their spiritual lives. And the scriptures make clear that even within the visible church that we can see, there are those who have faith and there are those who don't. And so the second purpose of this series is for anyone who may not yet have a saving faith in Jesus. And that purpose is stated for us at the end of the Gospel of John. At the very end of his book, in chapter 20, verse 30, John writes that Jesus did many signs which are not written in this book, but that these specific ones are captured so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so my prayer for anyone who doesn't yet know Jesus is that by taking a look at these signs, that the Spirit of God will work through His Word and in your heart in order to reveal Christ and to make Him known to you. And that the Spirit of God will guide you by these signs to find life in the name of Jesus. One quick note before we begin. 
There are only six weeks in the season of Epiphany this year, uh, so we're not going to have time to look at all seven of the signs in John's Gospel. And I'm actually taking a pastoral liberty this morning to start off uh, not with one of the official signs, uh, but with a saying that, that serves as a sign. And, and so we're mostly looking at the seven signs uh, in John, uh, but not exclusively. <clears throat> this week, we're, we're going to begin by considering how Jesus is revealed in the calling of his disciples. The story takes place in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me. We're beginning uh, our series uh, at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. After 30-some years of, of almost total anonymity, right after Jesus had come onto the scene as an adult and been baptized in the uh, Jordan River by John the Baptist, uh, Jesus begins to call his disciples. In verse 35 through 42, he invites Andrew and an unnamed disciple to follow him. Andrew then invites his brother Peter into the mix. And our, our passage picks up the following day. As Jesus went into Galilee, where he found Philip and invited Philip to follow him. Now, we know almost nothing about the interactions that Jesus had with these first four disciples. But it was obvious, it was obviously significant enough that Philip then went to find his friend Nathaniel. And he said to him that we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. To which Nathanael responds with an epic put-down of Nazareth for being a lame and boring town from which nothing good could come. <laughs> now I want to pause here for a moment to acknowledge that based on this interaction, it's obvious that these two men, Philip and Nathanael, knew some things about Jesus, but that they didn't really know Jesus. At least not yet. Philip shows that this is true by identifying Jesus as the son of Joseph. And while Jesus was the son of Joseph by law, but through Joseph's marriage to Mary, Joseph was not Jesus' actual father. And in fact, anyone who knew Jesus would never, who knew who Jesus really was, would, would never call Jesus the son of Joseph because they know that he is actually the Son of God. And Nathaniel, in questioning, can anything good come out of Nazareth, obviously has no idea about just how perfectly good Jesus is. In fact, theologically, we could probably argue that the only truly good thing to ever come to this world came out of Nazareth. <laughs> My point is this. And these two men knew some things about Jesus, but they obviously didn't know Jesus. At least not yet. They needed signs to help them understand who Jesus really was. And I wonder how true this is for people in our world today. And I believe that there are many, many people in the world and in the church who know things about Jesus, but who don't really know Jesus. And my challenge for all of us is that regardless of what you may believe about Jesus, that you would pay attention to these signs that he gives. And 
that we would consider them anew. In order to help these new disciples begin to understand, Jesus gives them a sign. Through a small, miraculous moment and a saying which interprets it. Let me explain. After Philip invites Nathanael to come and meet Jesus as they are approaching him, Jesus says to Nathanael, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Surprised by this greeting, Nathanael asks Jesus, How do you know me? To which Jesus responds, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. It's a small, miraculous moment. Not even counted as a miracle in the scriptures, but a miraculous moment nonetheless, where Jesus indicates that he had an awareness of Nathaniel's whereabouts that was beyond normal human understanding. Right? But before they were even in one another's presence, Jesus could see him. And this causes Nathaniel to begin to see Jesus more clearly. As he declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And in response to this declaration, Jesus says, You believe because I said that I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> you believe because of this small, minor, non-miracle miracle that I did. You will see even greater things than this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And in this saying that Jesus speaks, he is giving us a sign. It's a sign that points backwards and forwards to help us begin to truly understand who Jesus really is. First, this sign points backwards. For when Jesus referenced the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, this should immediately call our attention back to the account from our Old Testament reading this morning in Genesis chapter 28, which was an account where Jacob, as he was fleeing from his brother Esau, camped in a field and had a dream of a ladder that was set up on the earth and whose top reached into the heavens. And Jacob saw the angels of God ascending and descending upon this ladder. It was a vision of angelic beings moving back and forth from heaven to earth. And at the top of the ladder stood God, who spoke a word of promise and blessing upon Jacob and his descendants. It was a magnificent vision. When Jacob awoke from his dream, he declared, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. In his dream, Jacob experienced heaven breaking into earth, and he was in awe. And now here is Jesus, referencing that very same imagery of angels ascending and descending, this time not upon a ladder, but instead upon the Son of Man. And by replacing himself with the ladder from Jacob's dream, what Jesus is essentially saying is that I am that ladder. I am the gate of heaven. I am the way to experience the blessing and the promises of God in your lives. Surely the Lord is in this place with you. And you did not know it. In this saying, which serves as a sign pointing backwards. 
Jesus was identifying himself as the connection point and the intermediary between heaven and earth. He's the ladder that connects the two. He's the bridge that gets us to God. In this saying, Jesus is declaring that he, Jesus of Nazareth, fully man and fully God, is the intersection at which point heaven kisses the earth. He's, he gives a sign pointing us backwards that we might understand him more. But this saying isn't just a sign that points us backwards. It points us forwards as well. Because what Jesus said to Nathaniel was that if you think it was impressive that I saw you under the fig tree, you will see far greater things than that. Just wait until what you see next, Jesus tells him. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus tells Nathaniel, this, this isn't just who I am, but this is what I am going to do. Through me, you are going to see heaven break into earth like it's never broken in before. As a result of my life, you are going to see the promise and the blessing of God given to his people like it's never been given before. Because of the work that I will do, you're going to see the gate of heaven swung open to this world like it's never been opened before. He's taking this sign from the past and he's pointing it forward into the future. He's giving them information about who he is and about what he is going to do. And he's telling them to pay attention to it. In this saying, Jesus gave his disciples a sign that pointed backwards to identify who he is and that pointed forwards to communicate what he was going to do. And it's a sign that points forwards still. And this is so important for us to see, church, because our world is simultaneously both obsessed with spirituality and completely lost in regards to it. People are grasping for meaning and for significance and for connection to something bigger than themselves, and yet they have no idea where to actually find what they are looking for. They're disoriented and they are lost. And so they're searching in place after place after place, like going from building to building to building with no signs on them, hoping to find what they're looking for, from various religions to meditation and yoga, to connecting with nature, to, to, to the use of mind-altering substances, anything that will give them a sense of peace and joy and hope and love and connection to something transcendental that we all desire and that we all need as human beings. And what Jesus is pointing us to in this sign is that all of those longings are found in him. If you want a connection to something larger than yourself, something bigger than this world, it's found in Him. He is our only true connection, connecting point to the divine. If you want a peace that passes understanding, if you want a joy that overwhelms your sadness, if you want to have hope in the midst of the despair of this world, if you want to know forgiveness for the things that you've done wrong, if you want to know acceptance in the face of shame, if you need healing in your soul or in your body, 
if you need help that this world can't provide, all of these things are found in Jesus. Angels minister to us through him. God speaks blessing and promise upon us because of him. The very life of heaven is open to us, even while we're here on earth, because of him. This saying is so much more than a saying. It's a sign that points us to and orients us around the person of Jesus. It tells us who he really is. It tells us what he's really all about. That he's come to bring heaven to earth and to give earth access to heaven. And he's the only one who can do so. So the question for us this morning is, will we pay attention to the sign? Will we learn from it? Will we redirect our lives as a result of it? When you need joy in your life, when you need hope, when you need healing, when you need comfort, when you need wisdom that this world doesn't have, when you need help that this world can't provide, when you need any of these things that, that this world seems so unable to give or to sustain, will you seek them in Jesus? He's given us His Holy Spirit to live within us, which means that this access point to heaven, the ministering angels, that the blessing of God is always available to us by His Spirit. Will we pay attention to this sign and respond to its direction for our lives? You know, when Jacob, in our Old Testament reading, and Nathaniel, in our New Testament reading, encountered Jesus as earth's connection point to heaven. They both responded with awe and with wonder, and their lives were changed as a result. Jacob set up a pillar of stones as a memorial, made a vow to God with the pledge of his life, and promised to give a tenth of all that he had in devotion to God. This sign actually became the first real turning point in Jacob's life. It was the beginning of the change from the scoundrel that he was as Jacob to the patriarch that he would become as Israel. Nathaniel's life was changed too. He went from mocking Jesus to proclaiming Jesus as king, all because they experienced Jesus as the connection point to heaven. My prayer for us, church, is that we would respond similarly. Having Jesus revealed to us as the bridge between heaven and earth, the ladder that connects us to the, the promise and the blessing of God, the access that that is, may we respond similarly. Standing in awe and worship, being transformed at the, and wondering at the, the goodness of the love of God shown to us in Christ. May we reorient all of our lives in worship and devotion around Jesus, our King. Let us follow this sign where it leads, for His glory and for our good. Amen. And now, church, responding to the Word of God, 
read and the word of God preached, let us confess what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Father Almighty, Almighty, creator creator of heaven heaven and earth. earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, 